Well, hello, everyone. It is so good to be with you. If you're over at Montrose, it's good to see you. Uh, if you're watching online, thanks for dialing in. It is great to be with you. And uh, happy Juneteenth. You know, that honestly is a really big deal. Uh, it is so great that we can always celebrate things like our collective freedoms and equalities that way. So that is a thing to celebrate and excited that that's this weekend uh, as well. Uh, we have been uh, in a series just now for two weeks called What? What does God really want? What does he actually want from us? Uh, I think it's a question that most of us have asked at least once in our life, if not multiple times, maybe some of us even weekly, you know, like what does God actually want from me? What are those things? And last week we continued our kind of discovery into the Sermon on the Mount, into Jesus's kind of pinnacle of teaching as he started to break down his relationship with what some of us might know as the law, right? So all the things that are in the scriptures that God gave us that we're supposed to do and not do? And what is Jesus's relationship with that? Did he come just to wipe it out and it's no big deal? Don't worry about the law. Did he come to double down on it and say, no, for real, this is exactly what you're supposed to do? What did he do and why did he do that? Jeff gave us some great handles last week on kind of how to navigate. What are those do's and don'ts? How do they work? What's the intention behind it? And so as always, I want to encourage you to kind of catch up. If you missed that, hit our app, hit our website, podcast, like go through there and start to look at why is Jesus helping break down what our relationship with the law really is. Now, this weekend, we're going to get into his first example of how to engage those. So we've been in Matthew 5. If you have a Bible, you might want to open up there or you can follow along in our app. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, we always have one for you at our info desk. And so if you don't have a physical copy of the Bible and would like one, we would love to give that to you. Um, But you can follow Follow along there. We're going to be in Matthew 5. I'll let you get there before we start reading. But this this first example that he starts to talk about is really centered around this idea of murder. Uh, And so tonight's lesson, don't murder. Check. Let's pray. Uh, And so, uh, but it's centered around murder. And as you'll see, Jesus takes it into a place that's unfortunately not as easy as we might wish it was. And it's, I think, really important because it's related to anger. And if we're honest with ourselves and as we kind of look at the landscape around us, sometimes anger gets the best of us. Certainly, sometimes it gets the best of others. And so as we kind of look at what's that relationship, what is Jesus really getting into? I've always found it fascinating as I work with people, sometimes our anger isn't even like known by the person that we're angry with, right? And so all of a sudden relationships start to deteriorate and the other party didn't even know it all existed, right? Like you see a set of friends and all of a sudden one is ghosting the other one and you're like, why aren't they talking to me? Why won't they text me back? I, I, instead of calling me back, they're, they're just, you know, disappeared completely from my life. And here come to find out they've been holding a grudge against something you said two years ago and you had no idea they were even mad about it because because that anger is one-sided or worse yet, it blows up a marriage. We've literally seen it where all of a sudden someone will serve papers, you know, and they're like, hey, I'm sorry, this is over. And the other person's like, I didn't even know things weren't normal. Like, what do you mean it's over? Because the other person has been building up that anger, building up that whatever for so long, it destroys, right? And so Jesus is going to kind of give us some insight into that. And that's what we're going to dive into this weekend. Why is it such a big deal, right? That he would equate anger 
with murder and how, what is that all about. So if you're a Christ follower, I think he's going to bring some clarity to us this weekend and help us kind of navigate not only what is anger and its relationship with, my goodness, murder, uh, but also like how do we kind of do something about the anger that's in our lives If you're not a Christ follower, you might find some practical advice. I think that might be helpful. But what I really hope is that you find more clarity on what Jesus intends for his followers to grab a hold of. I'll be the first to admit, we don't always get it right. That doesn't make Jesus any less awesome or less perfect. It just means we're novices. We're trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus. And so I hope that clarity makes more sense uh, this weekend as we dive into this. So I'll kind of give you a heads up. Here's where we're headed. First of all, we're going to look at anger and what does murder have to do with it, right? Like how do those two things play out? And then we're going to take a look at what is the heart of Jesus, right? Like why would he want to bring this up? Why can't he leave well enough and let him say, obviously don't murder, let's move on. Um, And then specifically, if there is something that's plaguing us, what's the antidote, Like, how do we actually do something with the anger that's inside of us? How do we take a different pathway than maybe the one that we're on? Well, as I mentioned, we're in Matthew chapter 5, and so we're going to dive right in here into Matthew 5, verse 21, and Jesus starts out saying, "You've uh, you've heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. I hope for most of us in earshot right now that we have not had our minds blown yet. Okay, like murder is not a good thing. Uh, Murder usually hurts someone and we shouldn't do it, okay? And God is still against murder. So we can kind of clear that up, um, that if you had murder on the brain, uh, I'm really glad you're listening. And secondly, it's still wrong, okay? So we got that kind of out of the way. All right, but then Jesus continues, right? Oh, first of all, we have to say, you know, because some of you are thinking murder. And if you're an office fan like I am, you can't help yourself. All right, a murder in Savannah. Okay, so moving on. Verse 22, real talk. Uh, But Jesus says, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. What? (laughs) Like, Some of us, maybe we've read this passage maybe a bunch of times before, and it's almost so outlandish. Maybe we're tempted to almost just like, boy, Jesus means something intense for some people. Okay, moving on. But like, he he just made a very, very strong point. Something I don't think we can just let go lightly, because what does he mean? And in particular, how on earth is he relating anger with murder? What does murder have to do with anger? Now, we've been taught, right, most of us kind of grew up with a certain mindset, and actually even the listeners here in Jesus, when he was teaching this sermon, they would have been taught And as a matter of fact, we've been taught to teach. In other words, we've been taught to replicate this mindset that this is really a don't do this and do this kind of relationship. Don't commit murder, check. Okay, now I'm right with God. I hope, I mean, I don't think the bar is quite that low. Like as long as you don't murder, you and God, all right? Like that's good. Like there's more to it than that. And so how is it that we can kind of be good with God? Because the problem is with a mindset like that, this do or don't mindset, is where then does it become okay or where does it become right? Like, okay, yeah, 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 don't murder. 
got it. Don't kill someone. That makes so much sense. But can I like beat someone within an inch of their life? Because like that's not murder. Like they're still alive. So I'm good, right? Now, I hope most of us, that's not good, okay? We shouldn't beat people within an inch of their life. And if you're like, really? Again, let's schedule an appointment. We should get a cup of coffee. Like, let's talk through that. But then, like, where does it stop after that? Like, I can beat them up pretty much all the way. I can give them a couple of shiners. Like, where is the line from, like, it's okay that I physically hurt them, but it's not murder, And like, where is that line? And human mindsets are wired to say, I want to get as close to that line as possible when I need to. And so if it's okay for me to beat someone up because I'm angry with them because it's not murder, then I'm probably going to beat some people up when I get angry with them because it's not murder and I'm still good with God. Is that what he's saying? And of course, Jesus breaks it all the way down. He's like, if you think about it, you're in danger of judgment. Wow. But I mean, think about that relationally for just a second. Hey, you know what? Funniest thing, I was thinking about you last night and all the ways that I can murder you. I just kind of wish you weren't alive anymore. It was kind of like the game of Clue, except you were the person. And I was just trying to find what, with, and where, right? It was like, I mean, that's weird. You'd be freaked out. You'd be calling security, right? You're like, help, you know, I mean, If someone came up to you and said, I've been thinking about killing you. Exactly. This is ridiculous. And yet, we let some version of that kind of stuff swirl in our minds way more rampantly than we probably would care to admit out loud. And then we think of like, well, what did did Jesus mean when he said, if you call someone an idiot, if, if, if you curse someone, because if, if thinking about killing someone, if stewing on that anger is the beginning of that murderous pathway, then Jesus, what is it that you're telling us? Are you telling us that, well, I guess we're all going to hell? Is that your intention? Just to say, you're all messed up. It's over. Game over, checkmate, don't worry about the rest. It's already handled. You are basically a murderer. Is that what he's trying to get at? What's the heart of what Jesus is trying to show us? Why would he point that out? Why would he say your anger issue is actually much deeper than just saying I won't kill somebody? Why would he show us that? So in Matthew 22, 5, 22, he says, well, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. If you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Now think about this for a second. Maybe you don't use the word idiot, but one of you called someone else a name and you meant it. You're like, you're a terrible person. You, you blew it. And I don't want anything to do with you right now, right? If we're filling in our emotions when we might call someone an idiot or something like it. We're like, I am so angry with you. And then we might not finish this statement like cognitively in our brains, but sometimes we slip into, and I wish you were no longer a part of my life. Maybe even to the point of, you know, I kind of wish you weren't a part of anyone's life. It would be better if, idiot. And if you curse someone, 
And some of us might be thinking, well, at least I'm off the hook for that one. I mean, when's the last time you said curse on you and your family? Like, of course we don't do that. And it's not talking about four-letter words. And if you missed last week's message, Pastor Jeff walks us down the pathway of at least what one four-letter word is. If you know, you know. Okay, so like, but if we, it's not that kind of cursing. What is it? Have you ever wished ill will on someone? I wish this person got what's coming to them. I wish, I wish they got fired. I wish someone would put them in their place. We, we, might, we might be going down that pathway of cursing more than we naturally think. And isn't this like our culture to a T? I mean, I don't know about you, but it hasn't been that long. It's been at least an hour or so since I heard someone call someone else a name. Since I heard someone else look at a person or another group of people and say they are absolute morons for doing or thinking this. And they mean it. I can't believe you would sign up for that ideology. I can't believe that you would vote that way. I can't believe that you think this. I can't believe, and anyone that finds themselves in that camp, I mean, what more? Why would they do that? We watch TV shows. We watch podcasts. We watch YouTube channels. We'll listen to the radio. We'll listen to people rant and rave over and over about how dumb and idiotic and moronic these people are. And we're like, yep. I mean, I might not call people an idiot. Our culture is really good at doing that. I mean, our culture... Isn't it easy to slip into? I mean, it would be a whole lot easier if that person, if that group of people, if they didn't have access to social media, if they, weren't, if they finally didn't have a voice to spread their, and if they wouldn't, and if he would just, it'd be better if. I wish I could just shut up all the people that didn't think like I did. I mean, our culture borderline thrives on this stuff. This is what we pay to watch. This is what we sign up to engage in. Our culture is basically leading history for calling people idiots and cursing others. Now why would Jesus point that out? What's his heartbeat behind helping us understand that? I think he wants to save us from going down that pathway. I think he wants to give us an antidote to that murderous mindset. And so he continues in this passage. He gives us this antidote. He starts it off by saying, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. In other words, handle it. If we're angry with someone or someones, handle it. Do something about it. Don't just let yourself get all worked up about like, oh my goodness, I'm so angry with this person or those people, whatever those people mean to you. I'm so angry. Don't do that. Go handle it. Matter of fact, to the point of you are, you are coming to worship me. 
you were coming to tell me how great I am, but you won't let go of this anger with this person? How about we like pause that? You go handle that, and then we come back, and you can, we can interact together when you finally figured out how to handle. Like, he's like, this is priority. This is something I want my followers to do. He continues, when you're on your way to the court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge, who will hand you over to an officer, and he'll be thrown into prison. Do it quickly. You ever hear the cliche, make a mountain out of a molehill? The longer we let something fester inside of us, the more danger it has of actually throwing us into a spiritual, a mental, an emotional prison. If you allow this to continue to grapple, 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 take hold of your mind and grab your heart, And start dragging you down that pathway. And you're not willing to let go of it. You're like, I'll handle it next week. And you just let that fester and grow and build. All of a sudden, you find yourself in a mini prison. You can't shake it. You can't stop thinking about it. And every time you see the picture, every time you see the news story, every time that voice hits your mind, that anger is just back. You're imprisoned by this emotion, by this anger that is sweeping over us. And then he continues, wraps up this segment and says, and if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. In other words, you're going to have to end up digging as deep into the issue as you let the issue burrow deeply inside of you. You know, if someone offended you, made you a little upset on the way here as you logged in tonight, as you made your way to one of the Grace Church buildings and they made you a little bit upset, my guess is if you handle it quickly today, it'll probably be over. You handled it quickly. But something that you've been let eating you alive for a decade It's not something that you can just say, you know what, I handled it tonight. You're probably going to have to start digging pretty deep, maybe even pay every last penny to unearth the prison that that anger has grabbed a hold of your heart with. To start to break those chains, break away those shackles, you're going to have to dive into that. It might take counseling. It might take lots of conversations. It might take a lot of stuff, but it's going to take stuff. The longer and longer and longer we wait, the deeper and stronger we allow that prison to take over our minds and our hearts. Now, the good news is, The good news is Jesus is in the business of breaking prisons down. So that's why he's telling us this. He's not telling us this to mess with us. He's telling us this to say there's a way out of this thing that you might not even have realized has been plaguing you as deeply as it is. Let me show you that the problem is actually rooted in. It's deeper than I didn't kill anybody. It's much worse than that. Our thought life takes us down these pathways and we can get in trouble. So this is where the gospel enters in. And Jesus says, my death paid for those sins, that anger. It paid for those issues. It paid for those brokenness in my, reject- my resurrection means that it's handled, it's covered. There is freedom, there's a pathway out. Let me show you the pathway. 
Now, some of us, we get a little fluttery inside when we hear talk like that. We're like, Jesus is so good. But if we pause for a minute and we're honest with ourselves, we're like, but how do I do something about that? Like, how, how, how do I move from this has been like controlling this facet of my life to like realizing and playing out that Jesus' resurrection offers a pathway to freedom? Thankfully, God gives us some handles. And I want to kind of walk you through a few things that are in the scriptures to kind of help us take those steps. One of them you might find in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 has this wonderful section that talks about how like we should give the things that are bothering us, plaguing us, causing anxieties over to the Lord. And then to think on these things, excellent, noble, praiseworthy, trustworthy, pure that we think on things that are helpful. That we focus the way that we're living our life and our, and our emotions, our thoughts on the something different. Don't do this. Instead, think on this. 1 Corinthians 10 says that for every temptation, for every temptation, first of all, it's common to all of us. So if you're believing the lie that I am uniquely tempted to be angry at this person or this group of people, I don't mean this harshly. I actually mean this encouragingly. You're wrong. Humanity has struggled with that temptation. And here's the promise. It's formulaic. This is truth. If you're tempted, God does provide a way out. A equals B. I'm tempted to be angry. I'm tempted to go down that path. I'm tempted to let this spiral of anger anger go. I'm providing you a way out. There's a way to think on these things instead. Let me show you. If we're going to look to him, he will give you a way out. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul encourages us. I actually love this verse. Slow down with me. He says, in your anger, Notice Paul didn't say, stop being angry. He doesn't say, never be angry. He says, in your anger, do not sin. In other words, we're not talking about, gosh, I should really get my emotions in check. I should never be angry, apparently. What do you do with it, is the point. When you get angry, now what? In your anger, do not sin. A few verses later, Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and harsh words. All. It's just a little bit of harsh words. It's just a little rage. I don't know how that works. It's just a little bit of this stuff. Get rid of all of it. In other words, it's possible. Joe, I have an anger problem. Joe, you don't know me. Joe, I, when, I, when that hits me, I see red and blah, blah. In Christ, it is possible to get rid of all bitterness, rage, and harsh words. And then the one passage I really want to zero in as we walk through these encouragements, and there's so many more throughout the scriptures, is 2 Corinthians 10. Take every thought captive. Take every thought captive. And those thoughts enter our mind. What are we doing with it? We actually, we do this better than we think. Because some of us are like, I can't do that. But if you've ever had the fleeting thought, and I hope it was fleeting, 
that you should like, I don't know, kill your boss. You, you took that thought captive because you were like, that's probably a bad idea. It is. You took that thought captive. You did something with it. So you stopped stewing on, and if you're still stewing on murder, then again, we should, we should chat. Unless it's about murdering me and, and then we should probably get you to tackle somebody else. But uh, we, we, we take our thoughts captive. If you find yourself to be a married person, wow, that person's really, really attractive. You take that thought captive unless you're about to leave your spouse. We, we do versions of this all the time. A menu, that looks good, but I'll have the salad. We take thoughts captive all the time. Jesus is saying, even in these hard, controlling, deep moments, there is a way to take every thought captive. I want to tell you a story about a time that I did not do this very well. When I was first married, uh, about six months into our marriage, uh, my wife approached me and she said, I want a dog. No, I think was my answer. Uh, I think it was that quick too. I'm like, nope, nope, no dogs. I grew up, dogs were pointless to me growing up. Like growing up, we had a dog, but it was an outside dog. It was always on the run. Like it was just like never inside. I don't even know for sure that I remember its correct name. I mean, it like wasn't even a house pet, just an animal that was stuck in our backyard. It's pretty much my experience of having a dog growing up. I know that sounds terrible, but it wasn't my house. So don't judge me. I'll give you my dad's number. I'm just kidding. Uh... (laughs) Then I would go over to my one friend's house and they had a dog too. But that dog had like the dog breath to end all dog's breath, right? Like it was awful, right? And it wasn't just like when you were around the dog, it's dog breath stunk. It was like, welcome to our house, right? Like it would just come right up to you and just give you every bit of warm, disgusting, poisonous stench. And they let this thing live in their house. And let it approach their guests. Why would you want a dog? And then my other friend's house, right? That dog shed so much, right? I promise you, this is not natural. I'm still trying to get the dog hair off of my arms from being at my friend's house, right? Like there was so much dog hair. And so when my wife looks at me, my newlywed wife, the love of my life looks at me and says, I want a dog. I'm like, betrayer. Right? Like, how could you want to bring that filth into our home? If you're married, you know how this goes. We got a dog. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, She actually made a really good point. It actually was incredibly uh, thought through. And I'm like, that actually makes a lot of sense. And I caved. So we got a dog. Now, unfortunately, I asked her, I'm like, can we wait like six weeks? We got a busy summer. I'm a youth pastor. She was busy with me all the time doing that. We had like two trips, a conference, a missions trip, and a retreat, like all summer long. Like it was just this crazy back-to-back summer. And she's like, sure, we can wait six weeks. Well, the next day, (laughs) betrayed. Now, here's where it gets real bad. I still don't like this dog, even though it was cute. Like, oh, look at that little cute puppy. Betrayer. Uh, that is a cute puppy, but I still didn't want it. All I had done was give in to my wife. 
which at the moment felt fine. I acquiesced. She made sense. Let's get a dog. By the way, you're taking care of it. She was very okay with that. She wanted a dog. And then my wife, we've been married for six months, came home and suddenly I'm like, come here, honey. And she like ducks under my arm to go find that thing. She's like, come here, puppy. Picks up the puppy pretty much just like that and cuddles with it and kisses it and does all these things. And I'm like, you used to do that to me. (laughs) And the first day, I'm like, it's a new puppy. I get it. Second day, same thing. I'm like, it's a new puppy. We'll get there. It gets like three or four weeks into this like routine. And I'm like, this dog is stealing my thunder. Like this, I didn't want the dog in the first place, and now it's stealing my good life. I don't want anything to do with this dog, but I can't tell my wife that. I just said yes. I just told her she could have the dog. Plus, this sounds kind of petty. A couple more weeks go by. It's getting to the point to when, when my wife walks in the door, I'm already angry. I'm like, you're going to go to the dog. You're going to walk over to that dog and give it affection. I start getting super bitter about this dog. And I'm, I'm mad at my wife. And it gets to the point to where I can't hold it in anymore. And she comes home one day and she goes to that dog. And I'm like, Mandy! I probably didn't sound exactly like that. I don't know. I didn't. Wasn't awful, awful, but it wasn't good. And I lay into her, and I'm like, this dog, I didn't even want a dog, and you know I didn't want a dog, and then you brought this dog into the house, and not only did you bring something I didn't want in the house, but now you give it all the affection that you used to give me, and I can't believe that I'm even saying this, because as I even say it out loud, this sounds really petty and kind of stupid. It doesn't even make that much sense. Now I'm talking it out with you. My wife's giving me a look that pretty much echoed that, like, you done? (laughs) Because obviously she wasn't more in love with the dog than me. And I'm blowing up and I'm like, what got me here? Why am I all of a sudden, I mean, seethingly angry about a puppy? Why am I so mad about a dog? You see, when we think about our relationships, we're connected We're connected to someone and there's something that's holding that connection to us. And we know better than to like murder the person, okay? Like that, again, if that's not a no-brainer, let's please talk. But we know better than that. But sometimes we still kind of have that personality where we're going to yell and scream and make sure they know about all of our frustrations and know about how wrong they are and how they've treated us badly. And we just make sure, and eventually we find ourselves disconnected again. You start calling people an idiot. You start cursing them. But sometimes we know better. We know not to murder. We know not to go after them. We've learned that much. But in our heads... I hate that stupid dog. I cannot believe we just said our vows. I can't believe my wife would give that dog that attention instead of me. I can't tell her. I'm not going to yell at her. I'm not going to do the stupid stuff. But man, I can't get over this. And I'm just going to 
stew and complain and I can't get over myself and then all of a sudden one evening comes along and I can't hold it in anymore and I find myself blowing up and I'm like how did I even get there it actually is not that big of a deal that she has a dog we're going to figure this out and we did matter of fact we got a second dog one day and it was my idea we figured it out but because I was thinking about the anger I was daydreaming about the anger. I was justifying my anger. I was resonating. This is, this is rational thought. If she was a person that loved me, if she was a sane human being, she would know. And those thoughts are just festering in my head. To one point, I blow up, and suddenly the connection, the rift is there. And I'm like, how did I even get there? She didn't even know. She had no clue I was angry. Until I blew up. Because the thoughts were still deteriorating the connection. So Jesus is saying, don't murder. We're like, yeah, that makes sense. That's wrong. And then Jesus is saying, well, like, don't even like call them names. Don't even curse them because like that's going to deteriorate the relationship. Yeah, right. But if you even think about anger, if you're even anger with someone, you're subject to judgment. Well, gosh, Jesus, that sounds a little harsh. He's like, no, what, you, what your misunderstanding is, is even the thoughts of anger are already cutting away at your relationship. It's already deteriorating the connection that you have with that person. It's already deteriorating the connection that you have with me. Now, some of you are more mature than I am, and you're like, Joe, that was a story about puppies. Get over yourself. A friend of mine called me up not that long ago. He said, can we meet? And I said, yeah. So we sat down, and uh, he pretty much jumped right into the story, and he said, listen. He goes, I'm a racist. And I don't mean like... He goes, I... I actually am very angry at anyone that does not have the same white skin color that I have. I actually do, every time I see someone that's not like me, anger fills my heart. But as a Christ follower, I'm pretty sure that's not supposed to be that way. What am I supposed to do? First of all, I was like, bonus points for admitting this. Second of all, let's dig into this a little bit. Where do you think this comes from? What's got you so angry? What's got you so upset? And what triggers the anger? What happens to you that this isn't something in the past, but all of a sudden it's Tuesday morning and you're flipping out now? What's going on now? And he starts talking to me about his habits and what he does. And he's got a very flexible work schedule. He's a little bit older. He's kind of built up a business. And so he's got very flexible hours. But he also needs to be on social media for his business. He's like, I just see this stuff online all the time and it just angers me and angers me and angers me and every time and every time and every time and then he says I go home at night and my kids are out of the house and he goes honestly I, I watch the news a lot at night and it's just 
story after story after story, and I can't help myself. I'm just angry. I asked him, I said, how much time do you think you spend purposefully reading stuff that builds this in you? We broke that down a little bit, and he started thinking through it. And he, he said, honestly, I'm probably exposed to this type of thinking for at least six hours a day. Between the news stories I'm watching online, the things I'm watching on TV, and the stuff and the things that I follow on social media, I'm, I'm, this is constant. And I said, well, how often, like, how, how is your relationship with Jesus? Like, how much are you, like, trying to get connected with him? He says, Joe, I do a devotion every morning. I read my Bible at least a little bit every morning. I'm even in a Bible study once a week with some other guys, and for about 45 minutes, we dive into some scriptures, and then I come to church most weeks. And I said, okay, so what you're telling me is, is you give yourself about six hours a day and I'm not, e not even generic news or generic social media, like going after things to build this mindset. You're doing that six hours a day. And I said, and then time comparison, you're kind of sprinkling a little Jesus on your life and then wondering why this isn't changing. And wondering why your heart isn't seeing people the way that God sees people. You're wondering why you only see one side, one very biased side. You see, he found himself with his inputs all jacked up. Instead of, in that season of his life, instead of taking every thought captive, he was indulging every thought. Instead of looking and realizing, you know what, this is something that is tempting me to act and respond in a way that does not reflect the heart of Jesus. Something that he admitted, he knew, he came to the table and said, I know this isn't supposed to be there. But he was indulging it and allowing his heart, allowing his mind to continually be flavored more and more and more by these hateful thoughts. Take every thought captive. Maybe we should stop watching that, whatever that is. I mean, if, you're, if your reaction to every time you turn that thing on on the TV or every time you read a post by that person or that thing or that agency... If your reaction every time is anger, why aren't we taking that thought cap? You can unfollow them as easily as you hit follow. Watch something else. I, I know this is, this might be offensive to some of you listening. The world is not going to change because you know what happened today. Some of us watch the news as if we're the president of the United States and we have a ton of decisions to make. You watching the news 
builds ratings for people trying to make money off of reporting the news. That's what watching the news does. I'm not saying that in and of itself is wrong. I'm saying that if your constant reaction is anger or malice or bitterness or rage, get rid of it all. If following that person on social media always incites that fire in you, then unfollow them. But Joe, they're my cousin. Block them. You can call them up and have a conversation. Isn't it amazing how easily we can have conversations with people just fine? And then we follow them online and we're seething angry with them. Unfollow them. Because those thoughts are deteriorating your connection. They're hurting your heart. That anger is destroying you from the inside. Joe, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. Then I think what Jesus is saying is really worth examining. Because if you're going to let your heart be that enraged, if you're going to let your mind focus on those things that make you angry over and over and over again, then Jesus has told us in this passage that we are subject then to the consequences of the destruction that we're allowing into our minds and hearts. It does destroy connections. It does destroy relationships. And it does hurt your closeness with Jesus. And ironically, Jesus is extending you a hand of redemption. And if we're refusing to start taking steps toward that healing, it's almost like we're just slapping the hand out of the way and saying, no, Jesus, I can't do it. He's saying, I'll do it. Grab a hold. I can't. I can't. I'll do it. Let Jesus show you how to start thinking about those things. Let him help you take every thought captive. Let him show you the way out. Let me show you a pathway to freedom because it's not about Did you do the right thing? Did you have the thoughts? Did you do the thing? It's not about finding the line that we can or can't cross. It's about the direction that we're moving in. Turning on the news again, grabbing a hold of that social media thread again, yelling at that person or having that conversation at work again, making fun of that person at school again, is not moving toward the pathway of freedom that he's setting out for us. It's allowing that prison to get more and more tightly wrapped around our hearts. It's not about what line can we not cross. It's about Jesus. Will you take me in a different direction? I really don't think that Jesus is pointing out that anger is a lot like murder just so he can tell us how wrong we are. I'm confident that he's doing it because he's telling you, I can make it all right. You don't have to be stuck in your anger. 
You don't have to be stuck in your bitterness. You don't have to be imprisoned. Jesus offers a pathway to life. That's what he came to do for all of us. It's no matter how little or how much we feel like anger has a hold on us. Will you take time this weekend and explore how you can give it to Jesus and let him help you take every thought captive and start showing you the pathway to freedom instead. The band's gonna come out and maybe we need to take that time to journal some names. Maybe it is journaling a group of people. Maybe it's asking God to help you to see them or that person the way that he does. But whatever it is that God is laying on your heart right now, would you take the time to respond? Would you take the time to respond to the invitation to Jesus and say, you know what? I need a different pathway. Because these prison bars, they got me. Jesus, show me a way out. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for giving us that pathway out. Lord, none of us are stuck in a place to where you haven't allowed a pathway of freedom. But when we're tempted to go down that pathway, you're there. And if we'll respond to you, we can follow you to a place of life that we can actually free ourselves, handle the situation to quickly resolve what it is that is plaguing us from the inside out. Jesus, no matter what valley we find ourselves in, there is light ahead of us if we just grab a hold of your hand and allow you to take us there. God, help us to not get stuck severing every connection in our life, but instead looking for the redemption and the restoration that is possible only through you. And it's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.